Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Envío al área, al remate. Ahí está el primer tanto del partido. No lo celebra, por supuesto. Aaron Ramsey, 0 a 1 para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gun and Blog. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are uh, in separate places this time. Last week we were in the same room having a drink with uh, lovely people, doing an mm. Arscast Extra live fun experience, and now here we are. I, I, ca I can't see your face or read your expressions or anything. Lucky you. Yeah. Lucky you. Um, no, it's a bit weird. We're sort of back in our solitary confinement uh, on other sides of a, the Irish Sea, but it's, it's probably for the best. You know, I don't think... You know, we should get all too used to the adulation. I don't think it'd be good for us. No, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, the egos would be out of control, really. Yeah. Yeah. Back in this little room in my house feels far more uh, far more appropriate. All right. Um, uh, how have you been uh, coping with this interlude? What have you been doing? Well, I've been trying to watch the football. I've been trying to sort of, you know, sit through the international games as much as I can, um, even though they seem particularly farcical in this round maybe it's just because England have been playing mm. you know plumbers and things like that <laughs> that, uh, that I that I feel particularly um, uninspired by it all I mean Ireland had uh, was it the Faroe Islands? Gibraltar uh, and of course they've got to play they've got to play Germany uh, tomorrow so that's probably yes. going to be a little more challenging than Gibraltar I would I would say we shall see mm. who knows who knows um, but yeah, no, very sort of strange feeling to some of these international games at the moment. I mean, I, it can be amusing. It's a bit like watching a, a training exercise at times. Um, but you know, it's it's pretty dull, isn't it? Mm. I've been watching movies. You've been say. watching Jaws. I saw. Yeah, Jaws was great. Um, I, I, you, go on. You must be a millionaire now as well, having invented the the breakfast pie. The breakfast pie. Yeah, that was a that was a work of art. I have to say. Uh, I might actually post the the recipe on the site somewhere in case anybody wants to to uh, to use it. I was on to Pieberry Corner to see you know just to sort of sound them out about you know an Ars Block breakfast pie, but you know that they were complimentary but didn't seem that keen on you know really with it. No, no, no. But the, you know they know what they're doing in terms of pies. It has to be said they do, mm. they do. But I have to say, having seen an Instagram of this breakfast pie. I'm certainly intrigued. It was delicious too. That was the thing, and and the baked beans actually made it. Um, they made it, so got to give some credit to the to the mug smasher for that one. Oh right, fair yeah. play. Well, that was his idea. I thought it might be just a bit dry, and I was thinking if you could get a you know fried egg and a runny yolk over the top of it, it'd be great. But yeah, no, I, you know the beans are what did it. He knew. He knew. He knew. I gave him half the pie as well because one pie was was too much for me. So. I gave him the other half of the pie, and I kind of regretted that this morning when I had no breakfast pie at all. Yeah, you could have kept it. I could have, but that's that's me, generous to a fault. Mm. Um, right, so since the last time we spoke, even though these last few days have been particularly dull and quiet, there have been some things going on from an Arsenal mm. point of view. Um, the main one, I guess, is Mesut Ozil and the injury. Uh, he went to uh, Germany after the Chelsea game. He'd hurt himself a little bit in the in the Chelsea game and um, went over, was going to have a scan. They were going to say, oh, you'll be fine. And then it turns out he's 10 to 12 weeks out with a medial ligament injury. Not good. Yeah. No, not good. I mean, what do you make of that, um, how it was sort of uncovered? Do you, do you think that the club just thought there was nothing to it or do you think they thought send him to a doctor who he 
you know, trusts and knows out in Germany? What how, what do you think led to him going out to Germany in order to having it assessed? I don't know. I mean, I guess we, the, the, the key point that we always miss, I suppose, is that we don't get the... We don't get the information from the player, so we don't know what the player has told the club. And we don't know what Ozil said, you know, during the Chelsea game, whether he just felt a little bit sore in his knee. That that part of it is quite crucial to how things go down. But I suppose that when a player is due on international duty, um, unless it's something really, really obvious uh, that that makes the club withdraw that player, then he's going to go. Mm. And I don't suppose there's any issue with him going and immediately getting a test with the German national team, which is what seems to have happened, because I think that was a Tuesday or Wednesday um, that this happened. They did the test. Turns out it was bad. uh, And he immediately returns to Arsenal. But I I think it depends on what how it went down. You know, when did it happen to him and at what point? Did he let anyone know, or did he try and play on through the pain? Um, you know, considering how he played against Chelsea, maybe that was something that affected his performance. And then maybe you can question, well, why didn't he say something um, during the game because other players were taken off when perhaps he should have been? But maybe it wasn't something he mentioned until the end of the until the end of the game. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, Arsenal dot com did seem to suggest it did happen during the game, mm. which maybe would go some way towards explaining uh, his performance. It's happened before with him, hasn't it, at Bayern Munich? I think he he hurt his hamstring in the first couple of minutes and then mm. stayed on until half-time, having an absolute nightmare, really. Um, very strange one. Uh, I suspect that no one just thought it was particularly significant and the club seemed pretty annoyed with the way the news came out that their response sort of saying, well, we don't know how bad it is yet. We've got to assess it. We've got to manage it. Mm. It seemed like they weren't too happy with the German Federation for sort of announcing that he was properly crocked. Yeah. Is there a truck reversing behind you? Or is that... Um, that, Hang on. It might be here. Hang on. Oh, yeah, it is here. Yeah, that's all right. Well, he can reverse forever, so we'll just just crack on. No. yeah, I he mean, might. yeah, maybe he will. An infinite reversing lorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe there's an element of him, do you think perhaps, I should say, that there's an element of him wanting to prove himself um, uh, and playing on through injuries when perhaps he might be better off saying, look, I have a problem here, uh, as he did against Bayern. Like, I mean, that would have been really difficult for him to come off. I mean, the sensible thing would have been for him to come off against Bayern after two minutes doing his hamstring. Yeah. Um, yeah. But obviously he didn't. Um, and maybe against Chelsea, he'd have been best uh, best advised coming off the pitch. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain irony that a, a player who has been criticised for his unwillingness to sort of throw himself into the physical side of the game appears to have you know, create a problem by playing through the pain. Mm. Um, whether or not that's because he, he feels he needs to prove himself or not, I don't know. I think, I don't know, it, it's a really odd one and, and it's one that, you know, raises a lot of questions about about this team. I mean, it's another long-term, it's another player out for a series of months and that's, I mean, it, it's gone beyond, it's gone beyond the jokes, hasn't it? Yeah, it has really, because then... We got the news in midweek about Lauren Koscielny, um mm. sent back from France. Uh, and again, I don't think the club were particularly uh, impressed with the fact that the uh, the France national team um, described the uh, the injury quite quite succinctly: chronic tendonitis of both Achilles tendons. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do understand the need or the desire to keep things under wraps. Um, because, you know, you don't want everyone to know that you've got a player who's being nursed through games. And, mm. you know, if that if that's uh, something that an opposition uh, manager might might target as, as a weakness, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I think it puts into stark picture the, uh, the, the situation that we have at the club in terms of um, how short we are at the back and how thin the ice is, basically, when it comes to the to the personnel. Yeah. It's it's uh, that was certainly a worrying read because, I mean, I'm no physio, but chronic tendonitis in in both Achilles that sounds like a time bomb to me. Yeah, not good, uh, not good at all. And and he, uh, as far as I understand it, he's been playing with that for some time, possibly even before the World Cup. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, there's no way that you can hear that and not be even more astounded that we didn't move to sign another centre-back because Koscielny's having to be managed through the season thus far. And, you know, at any point that could backfire. If he's not ready for France, Mm. you know, will, will he be ready for Hull? Will it be ready for the games beyond that? Will he be able to play two games a week, which there's going to be an awful lot of in the next month or so? So... Yeah, big big worry. I mean, uh, I reckon Koscielny will probably just about be okay. But then with these Arsenal players, you never you never know. I mean, mm. Danny Danny Welbeck went off um, during the England game with an ankle problem. Now Roy Hodgson says it's fine. With with any other club, you'd be like fair enough. But <laughs> with, with our guys, um, yeah, you have to take everything with a pinch of salt. You never quite know. Yeah, Epsom salt. Indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, so, well, look, you know, we, we've got to keep fingers crossed. I mean, the thing about the, the Cassiani thing, right, is that it's a, it's a, it's an issue that can be managed um, and resolved through rest. But the problem, of course, is that with only two senior centre-halves um, and Callum Chambers playing a right-back in the absence of Matthew Debushi, now it becomes extremely difficult to give him that rest. Then mm. we're going into a period where we're playing... Um, a lot of European midweek games. So, you know, it's it's every three days, a game every three, four days for uh, a few months. And that would lead you to worry that he might not be able to make it through uh, all of those games. So is the manager going to have to, for some of those fixtures, put some faith in Chambers as a centre-half alongside Mertesacker, rest Koscielny, put some faith in, in Bellerin, for example, at right-back, I mean, that that's the job he's going to have to do because he's got to balance the need for Koscielny and the team with the prospect of losing Koscielny for a longer period by overplaying him. Yeah, I think the manager knew he'd have to rest Koscielny occasionally. He actually did it um, at the start of the season at Everton where he played... Debussy, he had Debussy at right back and he played Chambers alongside Mertesacker mm. and had Koscielny on the bench because I think it was around the time we were doing the, the qualification for the Champions League and... He probably knew he couldn't put Koscielny under that much strain. Obviously, Debushi being out has robbed him of that flexibility. Um, but I do wonder if you're right, and looking at the fixtures ahead, he might have to occasionally think, well, this is a game in which I'm going to give Hector Bellerin a game and, and play Chambers in the centre because, you know, Mertzak has retired from international football, thank God. Mm. Um, you know, I think he'll be tasked with playing most of the games, but if we want to avoid the risk of Koscielny's Achilles blowing up probably literally between now and January um, he needs to be he needs to be looked after it's mm. going to be tough it's going to be really tough and more tough by the fact that you know we I won't say deliberately um, didn't bring in a defender I'm sure we were trying to bring in a defender but the failure to do that has left us in a very very precarious position mm. so yeah, know. which which everyone could see, which is the frustration, isn't it? I mean, the day after deadline day, the delight over the capture of a striker was massively tempered by everyone just wondering how on earth we hadn't signed a centre-back. And um, this is the, the, situa- the situation many of us foresaw. Mm. And I don't think anyone takes any satisfaction from seeing it <laughs> come to pass. <laughs> well, look, we, we can do nothing really about it until January. Um, and uh, hopefully hopefully it is something we do in January uh, early, but I think we have form in this uh, in this department when it comes to the January transfer window that what we all expect and want the manager to do isn't always what he does. No, so. he can be unpredictable like that. <laughs> um, right. The other thing that happened this week was Brian McDermott has joined the the scouting staff, which is a very interesting development because, A, it suggests that we are trying to uh, improve or add something new to uh, to the team of people we have out there looking for players. Um, and am I right in thinking that he has been tasked specifically with finding players in the UK and Ireland? I don't know because he... He was on Sky Sports this weekend and he said that while he's predominantly working in the UK, he, he will be doing some some games abroad as well. Mm. Um, I do wonder if he's just been given a bit of paper that says, find a centre-back. <laughs> uh, that's like his sole directive. Yeah, um, Wouldn't surprise me at all. He's come in to work 
alongside Steve Rowley, basically. But it sounds like quite a senior role. He was head of scouting at Reading before he was their manager. So he's got a lot of experience in that area, in recruitment. I think it's I think it's positive. You know, it's a relatively high-profile high addition, isn't it? Uh, in an area where we're not used to hearing about that kind of thing. Mm. Um well, it's I mean, only... as well, he's experienced um, not only as a scout, but as a manager. So it's yeah. it's kind of interesting that he is doing this role, having been manager of Reading and done a pretty good job there. Um, struggled at Leeds, obviously, but then given the, the other circumstances at Leeds, uh, I, I don't think the fact that any manager would struggle there is, is a surprise. Yeah, no, of course. I think he had a tough time there so, with the owner. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly a step down, is it? But it's certainly not... Um, as hands-on um, as, as the role that, that he was doing at Leeds and at Reading as a day-to-day manager. Yeah, I think it's a bit unusual. Um, but from his perspective, he's got a connection with the club. It's a massive club as well, an opportunity to work with great people, Arsene Wenger, Steve Rowley. So I, I think you know it makes sense. He's only signed a contract until May, so if uh, another offer comes in of a, a managerial post, I'm sure he'll he'll consider that. But... In the meantime, yeah, he's got a couple of months to uh, find as a defender. <laughs> so. is, is it a is it an admission, a tacit admission, on behalf of the manager, who I assume is the one who who green green lit green lighted? I don't know, but he's green lot green yeah. lot. Uh, he's the one that that makes these appointments ultimately. Um, that I don't think you know Steve Rowley has that. Uh, much autonomy in the sense that he's not going to bring somebody that high profile in. Mm. Is it an admission that this is an area where we can improve or we need to improve in terms of, you know, the players that we're finding? Because on the one hand, let's say you've got Callum Chambers, whether that's a scouting spot or a manager spot, you know, we we don't know. But, um, you know, some of the um, perhaps a failure to find a central defender in the summer transfer window, this is perhaps part of that perhaps so I mean if if Arsene's to be believed Chambers was his own spot I think he said uh, after I saw him play against us in January I, I decided that I would sign him you know mm-hmm. um, so that, again that doesn't seem like a success of the scouting network it's difficult because we don't know all the ins and outs like I think people do come over and do scouting stints with Arsenal you know on, on, on short term contracts um, and we don't necessarily hear about it and some of them are quite high profile but I think yeah I mean it, it does seem like an, an odd failure you know one of one of Wenger's classic things he says in in press conferences well find me a better central defender than we've got mm. and you know it doesn't take a genius at home to kind of do a bit of googling and and come up with some I mean and I, don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily mean the Mertzacker and Koscielny but I mean then than no one, do you see what I mean? Than yeah. what we have beyond that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's always a bit of a disingenuous thing that he says, and I, I do wonder if maybe, maybe there's a sense that that's an area that we definitely should have identified somebody we failed to. What can we do to make sure that we don't make the same mistake in January? Because, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it does feel like this is a situation that really requires attention as soon as it's, as soon as it's feasible, uh, and, and a January window is the time to do that. All right. Okay. Well, look, we'll see what Brian McDermott can do. And the proof of that maybe will be in January when we go through the entire transfer window and and sign no one. The proof will be in the pie, the breakfast pie. The breakfast pie. Mm, Proof. That will be another good ingredient with the bacon and the sausages and black pudding (laughs) and all that. All right. We're going to take a short break. We're back with your questions in part two. Hello and welcome back to the AskCast Extra. We're going to have a look at some of your questions now. Um, the first one comes from Juggernaut EGA. Juggernautage. Juggernautage. Is that the is that the act of juggernauting? I don't know. To juggernaut. Yeah. How is I your juggernautage? <laughs> well, he asks, what are your thoughts on the story? I don't know if you've seen this story, by the way. In the Daily Mail about Ozil being unhappy and potentially leaving for Bayern Munich? Um, My first thought, given that it's the Daily Mail, is that it's probably a bunch of made-up shine. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, because it's the Daily Mail, and uh, Ozil is foreign, 
I'm guessing there's an element of that to it because of their their stance on foreigners and immigration and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and thirdly, because it's the Daily Mail, I haven't seen it. Um, but they do seem to have a thing for him, don't they? I mean, yeah. they really do seem to not like him. Uh, and while I get frustration and perhaps underwhelmment, underwhelm, underwhelmatage. We are inventing a new vocabulary on this We podcast. certainly are. But, you know, while I get all that, it just strikes me that they've had it pretty much in for him since day one. Yeah, it does seem that way. Do you um, think it's his, his... If he was perhaps more handsome, do you think they would pick on him as much? Because he does look a little bit, you know, he's got the sallow skin and he looks like, you know, you could take his lunch money off him. And they're essentially duffing him up and taking his lunch money off him in print. Maybe. I mean, the male... Apparently, it's, you know, the biggest website in the world, isn't it, or something? After oh, Google. yeah, I mean, the mail, yeah. Hmm. I mean, they, they sometimes, I believe, ask people to um, to write for them. Yeah. In, in return for what? Well, not very, well, sort of nothing, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they can be a bit cheeky in that regard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they've built this massive uh, website basically upon primarily pictures of pretty people on beaches, so maybe the fact that Ozil isn't pretty enough to, to generate those hits means they have to find another way to attract attention to him. Mm. Um, yeah, it does seem odd. I can't remember who the guy is who writes columns for them. Is it Adrian Durham? That's his name. He he was the man who famously coined the nicking a living phrase, was it not? No, that was, uh, that was Neil Ashton. Neil Ashton. Neil Ashton. Yeah. I think, I don't know what phrase Adrian Durham... Coined. I think he was just sort of smashing the keyboard. Yeah. You know? I can uh, typing. Exactly, exactly. Very much that sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, they, he he does seem to infuriate them, whether it be his his nationality, his religion, or his orbicular face. But I think they they probably just realise that there's a there's a lot of hits to be had out of him, um, and a lot of debate around him, and they're they're capitalising on that. And in terms of this story. I find it hard to hard to believe. I, I you know I have to say I'm, it wouldn't blow my mind to see that Ozil wasn't that unhappy in London. I don't think it's going swimmingly for him. Um, but I can't see him leaving in January. I think that's that's a question, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I'd say there's no chance at all of that. Mm. What about uh, the summer? The summer, I don't know. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on how the second half of the season goes. Mm. I think we live in a we live in a time that's quite profound. We live in a time <laughs> where um, players basically dictate their own fate. You know, uh, it wouldn't blow my mind to see Ozil leave Arsenal at some point in the next couple of years. I, I don't necessarily... Yeah, it's, it's hard to talk with any great certainty about his future, but I do think that the talk of him going in January is absurd. I don't, I don't think that would ever be countenance. Mm. There's a timing thing as well with this one, isn't there, of course, because uh, he's out injured for 10 to 12 weeks, and the thing that puts stories like this to bed quicker than anything is uh, is a good performance, or two exactly. or three, or a goal here, an assist there, and, you know, perhaps a smile, you know, um, uh, but we won't have any of that for 10 to 12 weeks, and then, of course, uh, it becomes almost like a self-perpetuating thing, doesn't it, that um, these, uh, you know, these stories, they're very, very difficult to disprove. Um, they are. They are. And the players, you know, even when the player comes out and says he's happy, that's that's come to mean nothing really, hasn't it? You know, you can't can't trust what anybody says in football. Yeah. So it's a it's an easy story to seed and it, and it will, I suspect, unfortunately, run and run. I mean, what do you think? Do you think there's any grain of truth to it at all? Any kernel there? I don't know. I mean, depends where that information is coming from. Um, you know, like you said, it's not going as well as it should be going for him. But then mm. that's part of sport, that these things happen and, you know, maybe it'll turn itself around and maybe it won't. Um, but I just think that, you know, to, to bring out this story now when he's got no way of countering that, other than to sort of release a statement saying, no, I'm happy at Arsenal, which is just, you know, you can't 
expect players or clubs to respond to every bit of tittle-tattle that appears in the papers. Um, he can't respond on the pitch, so it's just a, a very handy time for the Daily Mail to be able to run a story like this and, and um, you know, feed off the feed off the fear and feed off the perhaps the um, disenchantment that surrounds him at the moment. So uh, my advice would be, you know, obviously never, ever, 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 ever read the Daily Mail and your life will be a lot better for it. I think it's sage advice. Mm, right. Okay. Here's a question. Comes from uh, Jagsy10. And he says, Do you see us persisting with a 4-3-3 or 4-1-4-1 now that Ozil is out for a period of time? Or would you use 4-2-3-1 with Santi at 10? Um, I'm getting a bit muddled with all these formations, if I'm honest with you. The, it's uh, the, the shifting around is, is getting quite confusing, especially now. We seem to be using Santi Cazorla, or have been using him in a, a kind of deeper role, haven't we? Like mm. a kind of unfamiliar, um, unfamiliar deployment for him. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do I think... Do I think we'll stick with what we've got? I think... I mean, I really hope we go back to what's referred to as the four-two-three-one. I mean, I, the, the formation we used for most of last season, I do think that's still the most successful system we've employed. And even when we used it this season against Aston Villa, I felt we looked that much more comfortable. Um, you know, have a holding midfielder, an Arteta or even a Flamini alongside Aaron Ramsey when he gets back. And then a, a more creative number 10 ahead, be that Cazorla, you know, be that Jack Wilshire. I, I do think that's the way to go. I'm not sure that this more fluid system with, you know, more licence given to more players is, is quite quite working for mm. me. So that would be that would be my preference. What about you? I don't know if the manager will be inclined to change things. Um I think he he looks at the system, is it? And then the players. Uh, so I don't know if Ozil's absence will spark any real change in the formation, and if he thinks that, if he thinks that the four one four one is better for us in big games, then he's going to choose the formation and then the players to fit into that formation. But like you, mm-hmm. I, I I would just I think we're better and more balanced if we play the the four two three one type thing. Um, you know, uh, I just think that with the players we have. Without the without the one being the huge mythical fantastic superhero DM, then I think that one is always going to struggle a little bit, uh, and I just think it provides better balance and perhaps also better balance uh, at the top end of the pitch too. So, so we'll just, have to see. Um, just so we can sort of try and get to the bottom of this, what, what do you think? Arsene thinks about the four one four one would make us more secure in a in a big game. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I don't I don't really. know that either. Maybe he thinks that, you know, when when they have the when they have the ball that the it becomes basically a five man midfield. You don't get overloaded down the flanks, but I don't know. I mean I don't see a huge, huge difference in the in the way that the the four one four one is set up as opposed to the four two three one. No. Because you've still got two central midfield players ahead of the one uh, who can drop back in, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't I don't really understand why uh I don't really understand why he thinks that would be better. And I don't I don't necessarily think it was uh an issue with the with the formation in the first place that made us lose those big games the way that we did. You know, I don't think that was 
the the issue. I think it was perhaps the the application of it or the mindset that we went into those games in. Mm. Um, you get blown away by Liverpool in the first 20 minutes. You go, okay, right, all right. We better perhaps away from home just check ourselves a little bit and then you go and do something daft at Chelsea, you know, in the same way where you, you, you go bombing at the opposition, um, a very well-organized opposition away from home, get caught out a couple of goals, you're down to 10 men. So I don't think it was necessarily the, the, the formation or the system. I think it was the performances on the day. And you can play that formation and be a lot more conservative as well. So, um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, essentially it. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw it in use and, and Ozil was being used wide, I wondered if the thinking was, well, if you have Ozil wide in this system, you can have three central midfielders who are a bit more robust and you might get more protection for the back four in, in the middle of the park. Um, but he hasn't, you know, he hasn't stuck to keeping Ozil wide in that respect. So it's difficult to, mm. yeah, I, I don't fully see Wenger's thinking with it. Um but, you know, it, it, he is a very stubborn guy. And as you say, if he's decided that's the way to go, then I don't think the absence of any individual is going to shift him from that plan. No. Um, who do you think will benefit most then from Ozil being out? Cazorla. I think Cazorla is the obvious replacement. Um, yeah. You know, he's got the, the ability, perhaps not quite as uh, subtle as Ozil, but mm-hmm. certainly... He's got the energy, he's got the two-footedness, he's got... I just think we're better with Cazorla on the pitch anyway. Um, You know, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for me. Um, Regardless of who we're playing, I just think that there's something about him as a player which really suits this team. He he tends to make things happen. Uh, So I think he would be the one. And in the absence of Ramsey, I think Wilshire is going to have to play a little bit deeper in the midfield. Uh, closer to the to the uh, Arteta Flamini, um, and that leaves that creative position open for for Santi Cazorla. So, yeah, mm. that'd be me. Cool. Another question. Why not? This is from Fancy Truth, and he asks, uh, "Do you think Thierry Henry will return to Arsenal during the January window, and how do you feel about it as a player?" I don't think well. I think in any capacity because he's 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 leaving New York, is he not in December? Is that a? I think, think yeah. I, I read that. I mean, I don't think he's got anything left as a player at yeah. Premier League level. Um, much as I loved him, I think you know that that time is gone, and he had that moment against Leeds, and I think that's where it should be and where it should end. But mm. if you were to ask me if I take Thierry Henry back. At Arsenal in some capacity, yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't know what he's been doing in terms of coaching badges or if he's inclined to uh, become a coach. Uh, I don't really know what he's been doing behind the scenes. But when you when you hear him talk about Arsenal, you can see or you can hear the passion. You can hear how much he loves the club and how much it meant you know, um, to him. You can hear how he's connected with the club and with the fans and with everybody. Um, when you hear him talk about football in general, there's an intelligence to the way that, that he talks. Um, and we have, I think, uh, spoken before about how there is a lack of footballing people around the club, if you know what I mean. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that Thierry Henry should go onto the board as a football advisor or something like that, because that could well be a a waste of what he could bring if he's interested in coaching or, or uh, you know, doing doing more hands-on stuff. But, you know, in the short term, we've seen other clubs, big clubs in Europe, who bring back former players in an ambassadorial role uh, who do have an impact or who can bring football knowledge and, and expertise. And I think it would be a shame if Thierry Henry were to leave New York and wanted to come back to Arsenal and that we couldn't find a role for him. Because if you look at the great players that we've got who are now doing things in football, Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, um, you know, who are and would have so much to offer Arsenal, but who are other places. Bergkamp, yeah. to a certain extent, I, I understand because he's back at Ajax, a club where he grew up and he's, you know, with De Boer and um, I think the role that he has there suits him. I don't think he can ever be a manager, let's face it. But um, Vieira, 
for example, is somebody who could have done at Arsenal what he's been doing at Manchester City for the last mm. four or five years, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to see him back. Uh, I don't quite know how it would happen or in, in what capacity, but I think, you know, we, we can't let somebody like uh, Henri um, just wander off and, and do do it for some other club if he wants to remain involved in football. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the, the Vieira thing still feels a bit odd, doesn't it, that he's going through that process at Manchester City rather than at Arsenal. Yeah. And um, I just think we can't allow that to happen again, really. I think if Omri's open to coming back, we've you've got to make room for him. You know, it's like it's like when a great player comes on the market, sometimes you have to say, well, you might not necessarily, we might necessarily need him, but it's a, it's a big opportunity and it's something you've got to do. And I think Omri would be a, a massive asset to this club yeah. in, in any capacity. So... I'd, I'd love to see it happen. There's some talk he might carry on playing. Um, a little bit of chat about Paris Saint-Germain, but like nah. you, I'd, I'd be very surprised if no he way. still cut it at that level. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, you know, he's, he's, his playing career has been outstanding. He's had some good years in, in America with New York Red Bulls, uh, scored some brilliant goals there. Uh, but, you know, uh, to expect him to come back to the top level of European football and and make an impact on the pitch, I think, is too much to expect. And I think from his own point of view, he's got to look at making an impact off the pitch, whether it's training or coaching or, or you know, becoming, um, you know, a figure at a club like Arsenal where he's, where he's got a connection. So well, let's hope it go. is. Let's yeah. hope that's what happens. All right. Here's a question from Lee Hennigan. His name is uh, at Lee Hennigan. So no, okay. no, nothing to, nothing to make keeping fun it of real. That. Yeah, keeping it real. Yeah. And he says, if you had a time machine and could go back and change one moment of Arsenal's history, what would it be and why? It's a lot of responsibility. Mm. Just well, one just... moment in the entire history of Arsenal, what would it be? Oh, that's a really, really tough one. Um, oh, one moment. I know what mine would be. Oh, okay. Well, you do that in the interim while I'm thinking. Mine would be um, Champions League final. Yeah, it does spring to mind. And it would be the moment when Thierry had that uh, chance to make it 2-0 with about, what, 20 minutes to go? Something like that? 15, 20 minutes to go? Where his legs were completely gone. Yeah, and it was a position where you would normally expect him to score from and the shot wasn't as good as it should have been and Valdez made a save and then we know what happened there. Um, and I think at 2-0, we would have gone on to to, uh, to win the Champions League. We would have had our first season in the Emirates as European Cup holders. Um, quite what difference it might have made overall, it's hard to say. But I just think for the stature of the club and for, um, you know, for the... When you look at the, the, the way we struggled in the years following that, you know, I think it would have made a difference um you know the difficulties we had to win things after that you know what i mean it took so long mm. Mm. it took so long and um, that i think it would have just changed so much about the way the club was perceived and um you know the trials that we had perhaps wouldn't have been as as uh, as difficult so that would be mine that would be I mine i think that's a great one i i thought i'd say I would probably agree. I was thinking about that game and I was thinking, you know, what would I change? Would I keep laming on? And it's like, well, the game could still go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was very early on. But that Henri chance, I remember so intently him going through and just that deflation when he realised that actually he didn't have anything left, really, to put behind the shot. Mm. Um, just for, for for the sake of going something different, I will choose the Eduardo injury uh, at Birmingham. Because I still think that had it not been for that, we we may well have gone on to win the league. I agree, season. yeah. Um, and had we done so, I think the trajectory of the club would have been shifted. And I do think that the pain of not winning that title and, and the pain of losing the player in that way and a slight sense of physical intimidation, I think, sort of did hang around the club for a little bit of time. And I, I do think it was a big, big, big moment. And... Um, Similarly, might have would have put might have put an end to that that trophy weight a little earlier, and then 
you don't know where you go from there. So mm, maybe be, you don't. Yeah, you don't lose players. Um, you know that 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 came and went, and you know that the team that he tried to build, you know, wouldn't have wouldn't perhaps have fallen apart. So yeah, it felt like something, you know. Of something other than Eduardo's leg broke that day. You know? Yeah, and it was in a way, it became symptomatic, didn't it? That you know we had this terrible injury, and the injury played havoc with the season. But even in that game, wasn't it a last-minute equaliser from Birmingham? Yeah. Free kick, or am I right? Or penalty? Or oh, it was a penalty. Was it? Was it Clichy who yeah, gave away a penalty? Maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great shout as well. That is a very good one because I do think I know there were other injuries um, towards the end of that season. Flamini got injured and Sanya was injured as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I think, and I think those played a part also. But just for the the traumatic effect that the Eduardo injury had and that result against Birmingham had, because I think we what did we do something mad like draw four games nil nil in a row, something like that. We didn't see. We didn't Possibly. lose a lot of games. What we? Oh, I got to go back and look at that now. It was. It was a. It was a James McFadden penalty uh, in stoppage time against God Birmingham. Damn it! Two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, wasn't it? Yeah, that was conceded by Gal Cliche. Yeah. When was that game? Birmingham two two. Okay, so, so our there. our following results then in the Premier League were one one with Aston Villa. We went to Milan and beat Milan 2-0 but then we drew 0-0 with Wigan drew 1-1 with Middlesbrough then got beaten by Chelsea uh. so it was very costly mm. Mm, that would um, be a good one so yeah and also we'd still have a, a top striker I suspect in Eduardo he was really going the right way wasn't he in yeah. terms of his development um, and was never quite the same player, sadly. never, n- never nearly the same player, unfortunately. Yeah, which is a yeah. real shame. It, All right, and inevitably, perhaps another one from you. That was a, a cheerful one. That was all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one from me. What will I have? Okay, this is from Tuxedo Guna, uh, and they ask, "Yes, indeed. If you could put any other animal's head on a dog's body, <laughs> what would it be?" Oh, if you could put any animal's head on a dog's body. Um, I know mine. You know yours. I Mine... Go on, sorry. Oh, you go go. On. All right, mine is an owl. An owl? <laughs> yeah. Just because I think owls have quite cute faces, and also I'd quite like to see it sort of turning around, you know, doing that old trick. Do you think owls look cute? I think so. I think they're they're really, really evil. Really? Yeah. Like if an uh, if an owl was staring at me, I'd get really uncomfortable because there's just a sort of a a beakiness and eye tacularness to them. I don't know. They look evil to me. Like really? they're always I frowning. As, I think of them like a barn owl as like a sort of a fluffy, innocent thing. Um, have you had a bad experience with an owl? No, I've never, never really had any run in with an owl at all. But I think... There's just something about their faces. They always look like they're frowning. And, you know, this, there's an intenseness to their gaze, which I suppose well, I, is in their nature as owls. Well, I live in an area with a lot of people with quite scary, scary-looking scary dogs. So maybe I could counter that by with my dead-eyed owl dog. Yeah. Yeah. You know the way, I mean, my dog, when I go out with him, he's, he's uh, you know, he's interested in other dogs as they are. You know, they look at each other from across the road. They give each other, this, you know, the hard eye, the stare. They're watching each other, you know. But imagine then, yeah, if, you're, if your dog was able to just continue walking down the road but tilt his head all the way back around to keep staring. It would freak other dogs out, I'd say. I think so. You probably need a special lead. But other than that, yeah, for well, me the lead, it's the, the, Yeah, it goes around the, the neck, you know. It's not like you attach it to their head. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I don't have a dog, if that's not clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would I do? Um, that's a really good question. I think it would be a rhino. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, it would be cool because you could have um, a Jack Russell, for example, but with the head of a rhino, like the a rhino-sized head that right, would just like be a on a little head. Jack Russell. Yeah, massive, massive head. 
like on a Jack Russell. A rhino that, would be good, though, as well, you know. I mean, that sounds very exciting. Mm. Um, and with the horn and everything? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. With the horn. Definitely. Because, I mean, what, what, you know, how else would you identify it being a rhino without the horn? The only thing is that your dog would then be ripe for poaching. Because people do that, don't they? They cut the horns You'd have off to rhinos. Be careful. You'd have to be careful. I'm not sure that there are a great many rhino poachers around uh, around this area. Really? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I've never seen one. If there is one, though, in Dublin, they'll be absolutely desperate because they'll have been having such a bad time of it in the rhino poaching game. Yeah. That they will, they will go to any lengths to get that rhino horn. So you need to be careful. They must, be yeah, they're probably scouring the streets right now looking for rhinos. Imagine they'll be so hungry for, mm. for rhino meat. <laughs> I think they just use the they powder the the horn down and use it as a, an aphrodisiac. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, final question, I think, um, and this one comes from Johnny Boy. He's at the underscore J underscore high. Of course, he and is. that's a high, like as in hello, not high, as in stoned off his face. Right, but well, I can't question, and then we'll decide. He wants to know, in the movie version of the Tuesday Club, who would you cast to play Dixon, Adams, Bold, and Winterburn? Ooh. Um, great question. Yeah, I always think that Jimmy Nail should play Tony Adams in the film of his life. Are you aware of Jimmy Nail? I am, yeah. Boys from the Black Stuff, and he was—he had some pop hits, didn't he, in the nineties? He, he did. But then, didn't we all? Yes. But I true. think. Um, but I think there's a, a resemblance there. There is the, the the nose certainly is is one of them. A certain crooked charm. Mm-hmm. Um, who else have I got? You got Steve Bold. <sighs> You're gonna have to help me out here on this. Okay. Yeah. I. I for Steve Bold, I had a uh, Mark Strong. Oh, that's great. It's good, isn't it? That's really good. And, you know, the best thing about him is that he's what? an Arsenal fan. He is indeed, actually. He yeah, is an Arsenal fan. Um, because uh, I think one of last, last year, maybe, or the summer before last, I can't remember where I did, you know, it was the middle of summer, nothing going on, um, and I did some kind of vague film script type thing, and I cast him as the evil Ivan Gazidis figure in the in the screenplay. Right, and he sent me an email saying that he would be delighted to take up that role, which was a which was a real um, that was a can real get, surprise. Can we get this film made? Yeah, well, look, we've, I've been trying to do a Kickstarter funding thing on it for ages, and just nobody's uh, nobody's that interested. Any producers listening? Yeah, all we have is the basic idea that Mark Strong could be an evil Ivan Gazidis figure. After that, <laughs> you know, it's a blank canvas. Um. Okay, well, I like that. I like Mark Strong as Steve Bold. Yeah. Um, Nigel Winterburn's quite a, d- a difficult one. I I had an idea. I'm going to go with Dixon first. Okay, do Dixon first, then. I uh, I chose Tim Roth. <laughs> right. Now, I, I don't quite know why, because I find that... Um, have you ever seen that show he does called Lie to Me? Yeah, yeah. He's really fucking annoying in that film, or in that mo- uh, TV show. Right, Because yeah. of the way he moves and he talks and he kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, and he tilts his head this way and that way, not unlike an owl, perhaps. Um, but I, I just thought that he would be able to capture the essence of, of Lee Dixon. Do you find Lee Dixon annoying? No, I don't at all. Not, oh. not even slightly, but um, I just thought that Tim Roth, perhaps it's his acting chops. He's quite I versatile. See. That he would be able then to, to make Lee Dixon... Yeah, that's true. The good thing is for any of these people, you could say Michael Sheen, because he can just play any man. He turns into anyone, doesn't he? Yeah. He just looks exactly like them as well. Yeah. I'm, we I'm, I'm him as Patrick Vieira or whatever. Yeah. You know, Anxiously awaiting Michael Sheen's Nelson Mandela. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which brings me then to Nigel Winterburn, because uh, my idea was a little bit left field, but I think it'll okay. work. Morgan Freeman. Okay. Because... If you remember the Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman was in that, right? Yeah. But in the book of the Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman plays a character um, called Red, who's a big red-headed Irishman. So if Morgan Freeman can play a big red-headed Irishman, 
uh, Nigel Winterburn would be would be easy. I've never read the book. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the character of Red is a big red-headed Irishman, which is why he's called Red. Morgan Freeman, let's face it, isn't that red. No, I I bet the Irish acting community were up in arms. The Gleasons went mental. Yeah, (laughs) all of them overlooked once again. God damn it! Yeah. For Morgan Freeman. Um, so, yeah, um, that's where I think Nigel Winterburn should be Morgan Freeman. I think... Well, look, I don't know any film that's not improved by having Morgan Freeman in it and his laconic delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, is that the set? Is that the complete set? That's it. So we've got Mark Strong, Jimmy Nail, Tim Roth and Morgan Freeman. I actually had picked Jeff Bridges for Tony Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he would be quite cool at, you know, the poetry, man. You know? Uh, I mean... I don't understand why this film hasn't been made. Yeah, I mean, what, the drinking exploits. Who would you Is get it? to play? Um, who would you get to play Ray Parler? Oh, that's a great one. Um, one of the Gleasons. Yeah, <laughs> we owe them. Gleason. We owe them. They're still fuming from the Shawshank yeah. farce. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Nick Gleason would be good. He could do the accent, couldn't he? Yeah, and he could also double as Perry Groves. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go, double up. Right. It's an exciting prospect. It is. So, look, film producers, get in touch. We've got brilliant ideas for films and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Maybe not. I think right. we should leave it here. Yeah. Okay, well, look, hopefully we've provided you with a little bit of uh, interlal entertainment um, to get you through until uh, the Arscast on Friday. And when we will be looking ahead to the uh, to the whole game and all that, mm. uh, and uh, European football the following week. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and um, we'll chat to you on next week's Arscast Extra. Bye bye. <laughs>